All right, if you wouldn't open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. We'll begin reading in verse 53. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we come into your presence this this evening, a, a thankful people. How thankful we are that sinful men and women such as we are can come into the presence of the thrice holy God and call you our Father. But the God of heaven and earth is our Father. You chose us and in divine election, you adopted us into your family. You caused us to be born again into your family. All by your will, your mercy, your grace, your purpose, for your glory. And Father, we're thankful. Oh, how thankful we are to be an object of your mercy and your grace. And Father, we also bow before you a hungry and a needy people. Father, we need a word from thee. I beg of you that you not let us leave here this evening without hearing from thee. If we have met here just to hear the the thoughts and ideas and words of men, we've met in vain. But Father, if you'll speak to our hearts, we'll have a worship service. If you'll speak to our hearts, we'll be blessed and our hearts and souls strengthened and encouraged to continue on the journey that you've called us to go through here below. Bless us, Father, for thy great name's sake, that the name of Christ our Savior be exalted. And Father, I thank you for this place. I thank you for this people that you have raised up and called together. Father, I ask that you would keep us, keep us in your love, keep us in in love for one another, that we might be bound together in love for thee, in, in love for for one another, love and care for our community, that that this might be a place, Father, where Christ is preached, where there is no other agenda, but the people might come to know the Savior. Father, we pray for the sick and the afflicted of our number and those that we know of here in other places, those who are hurting, need you especially, Father. We pray you'd be with them. Comfort their hearts with your presence. Give them a fulfillment of your promise that your grace is sufficient. And Father, we pray you deliver them quickly. All these things we ask in that name which is above every name. The name of Christ our Savior. Amen. It is a, a very blessed 
privilege, it's a responsibility, but a privilege for those who preach the gospel to compel sinners to come to Christ. What better thing can you do by God's grace if he enables you to do it than compel sinners to come to Christ? I always am, am very conscious, I try to make an effort to do that in every message I preach because I want the unbeliever. I want them to go to Christ. I want them to go to Christ for mercy, salvation, and life for their souls. And I want believers to go to Christ again. I know you've already come to Christ, but Peter said to whom coming, coming. I want you to come again, that you find food for your souls, assurance for your, for your hearts, and comfort and instruction. And if the Lord will enable me, tonight I'm going to preach an entire message on that subject. I've titled the message, Go to Christ. Our text begins in verse 53 of Genesis 41. And the seven years of plenteousness was in the land of e- that were in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph. What he saith to you, do. Now the seven years of plenty have ended. The people have used up all their hoarded resources and now they're hungry. They don't have any bread and there isn't any grain growing. There's a famine. So the people go to Pharaoh, looking to him, looking to their leader to provide food for them. Now the picture here is the condition that you and I are in spiritually because of our sin. Our sin has left us in a spiritual famine. We're empty of anything God requires and we can't grow it. We can't produce it. We're empty of righteousness. We're empty of holiness. We're empty of life itself. We're dead in sin. So we can't produce anything living. We're empty and we can't fill ourselves. We can't fill ourselves with righteousness. We can't fill ourselves with spiritual life. Our sin has left us in a spiritual wasteland. It's just like it must be standing in the middle of the Sahara Desert. And as far as you can see in every direction, there's nothing but sand. Dry, hot sand where nothing can grow. There's, there's no life there. And if we stay there very long, we're going to die. You not only do we live in a world that is a famine. I want to make sure all of us understand this. Let's get right now where the rubber meets the road here. Each of us personally, individually, we are a famine. We're just a bunch of dry deserts gathered together, but there's no life in any of us. Look over, if you would, Amos chapter 8. If you have the authorized version, that's page 1146. Hosea, Joel, and then Amos. The Lord gave Amos a word for Israel and and a word for us. And I know this has come to pass uh, many, many times over the history of the world. Boy, it sure is true in our day. Look at verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Isn't that our day? Man 
has rebelled against God. Man has said, I don't want God. I don't want God's way of salvation. I don't want God's authority over me. You tell me that God's sovereign over me. He can choose to do with me what He will. I don't like that. I don't want that. And God says, all right. All right. One of my biggest fears is God give me what I want by nature. God says, all right. You don't want my word, I'll take it. I'll take it from you. And you're going to run from sea to sea, from north to south. And you're not going to be able to find it. Just a wasteland. We're left in a deadly spiritual famine, aren't we? But you know what? All of that is part of God's purpose of salvation for his people. There's got to be a famine before we'll seek Christ. There's got to be a drought before we become thirsty and seek Christ, the water of life. We've got to realize we're in a spiritual famine or we'll never seek Christ. We'll never seek life. We'll never seek forgiveness of sin in him. We'll never seek redemption in him. That's what the Lord, how he brought all the Egyptians and all the world at this time. They realized they were in a famine. They hadn't been looking for bread for the past seven years. The earth was bringing forth by handfuls. But now they're in a famine and they're looking for bread and they never would have come to Pharaoh looking for bread if the, if the Lord hadn't sent this famine. And that's what the Lord's going to save you and me. Spiritually, that's what he's going to do to us. We'll never go to God seeking for salvation. We'll never seek mercy. We'll never seek grace until the Lord makes us realize we're in a spiritual famine. That we're empty and we cannot do anything to help ourselves. Now that's a miserable condition, but the Lord's got to bring us to that miserable condition before we'll ever seek for help outside of ourselves. We'll never seek Christ as long as we think there's some help in ourselves. If the Lord ever shows us what we are, He ever shows us our condition, He ever shows us how desperate we are, nobody's going to have to beg you to go to God and cry out for mercy. And if you go to God crying out for mercy, do you know what he's going to tell you? I can tell you exactly what he'll tell you. He's going to tell you the same thing that Pharaoh said to the hungry Egyptians. Go to Joseph. If we go to God seeking mercy, seeking grace, seeking salvation, we go to God, God's going to say, go to Christ. It's all in him. Go to Christ. I just find it very interesting. Pharaoh didn't just suddenly take charge. Now everybody's coming to him, you know, looking for food. And, you know, he didn't suddenly take charge and start giving people food. He said, go to Joseph. Joseph is in charge of all the food in this world. You go to him. And when sinners finally cry out to God for mercy, when we finally cry out and beg God for salvation, bread for our empty souls, the Father doesn't take charge and just say, well, here, here's, here's mercy for you. The Father says, go to Christ. The Father says, go to my Son. My Son is in charge of all salvation. He's in charge of all life. He's in charge of all righteousness. John 3, verse 35, our Savior said, the Father loveth the Son, hath given all things into his hand. The Father put everything in the hand of Christ to dispose of as he will. And he tells us, go to my son. Go to my son. 
And that's what I want to tell us from the Word of God tonight. Go to Christ and what He says, do. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, He's the only source of salvation. There's no other Savior. He's the only source of mercy. He's the only source of righteousness. He's the only righteous man who ever lived. He's the only source of forgiveness for our sin. He's the only source of eternal life. Is that what you need? Then go to Christ. You'll find it no place other than Christ. I have a few examples. Number one is this. You and I are dead in sin. We need life. Don't we need spiritual life? Then go to Christ for life. Everybody here has heard many, many times that when Adam sinned, he died. He spiritually died. And everybody who would ever descend from him, they died too. When Adam died, all of us died. When we were conceived in the womb 6,000 years later, we received the dead nature of our father. We received the dead nature of Adam. Because a dead spiritual nature, that's the only thing our father had to pass on to us. That's the only thing his seed could pass on to us. We're conceived in sin. We're conceived dead. We're born dead. And everything we do is dead. Everything we try to do to please God, we think, oh, that's a good one. It's got the stench of death on it. God snarls up his nose. That's a stench in his nose. And if we're not given spiritual life, we're going to die physically. And then we're going to suffer eternal death in hell. Now people who are raised in religion, now I'm talking about even true religion, even the gospel of Christ, they tend to think everybody else is dead in sin. Don't we? I mean, we're so dead, we think everybody else is dead in sin, but not me. Not me. I, I do all this religious activity. I faithfully attend the, the, the preaching service. I know what the Bible says. I mean, from the time I was knee high to a grasshopper, I've been taught what the Word of God says. I know what the Word of God says. I know a bunch of, of facts and, and doctrines from Scripture. Boy, you want to play Bible trivia? Boy, you don't, you don't stand a chance against me, you know. Well, now that's good. And I would highly recommend that you make sure you're taught the truth of the Scriptures. But knowing those things is not salvation. You can know all those things in your head and spit them back out just like you do on a, a, a science test or a social studies test. You can know all those things and still be spiritually dead. There's a huge difference between head knowledge and heart faith. There's a huge, huge difference in spiritual life in the heart. Now, if you're dead and you want spiritual life, tell you what to do. Go to Christ. He's got it. In John 17, verse 2, he says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh. And here's why the Father gave power over all flesh to his Son. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That he should give it. Now go to Christ. There's not a question of whether or not he's going to give it to you. He said, This is why my Father gave me power over all flesh. That I might give life to your people. All those people that you draw to me, I'm going to give them life. I'm going to give it to them freely. Now, eternal life is Christ's to give. It's his to give. Now, if you want eternal life, go beg him to give it to you. <laughs> go beg him to give it to you. 
He won't turn you away empty. Now, don't, don't think I'm saying that us going and begging God, that, that obligates Him to give us life. That's not so. Go begging for it. He doesn't have to give it to you. But He will. But He will. John 6, verse 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He gives it freely. Not only does Christ have life, He is life. Christ is our life. If you would have Christ, if you would have life, go to Christ. Beg to be joined to Him. If you're joined to Christ, you'll have life. Just like the the stem of a tree, the branch of a tree has life because it's joined to the trunk. Now, if you cut it off of the trunk, it's going to die. But as long as it's connected to the trunk, it's got life because life is in the trunk. If we're joined to Christ, we have life for the very same reason. Because we're joined to Him. Now here's the thing. I know this by experience. I know it from uh, preaching to people and and, uh, being around people a long time. I know this is the case with us. This is not the first time you've heard somebody tell you come to Christ. And here's our problem. And the Lord told us what our problem is. You, know, you, you tell people the wonderful news of Christ the Savior. How ruined we are and how completely and utterly He saves His people from their sin. Cleanses them, gives them life. And people walk out the door and don't come. They walk out the door not believing Christ anymore than they did when they, when they got here. Now why is that? Well, our Lord told us it's because of our nature. By nature, He said, you will not come unto me that you might have life. You won't do it. If you find yourself unable to come to Christ, tell you what to do. Ask the Lord to draw you. <laughs> Ask the Lord. To, if He'll draw you, you'll come. And if you come, He'll give you life. All right, number two, you and I are lost in sin. And we need to be saved from our sin. Does that describe you? Go to Christ for salvation. Like I said, you and I are sinners. We need to be saved from our sin. And maybe more accurately, we need to be saved from God. We need to be saved from God who we've sinned against. We need to be saved from the justice of God that is against our sin that must be satisfied. Well, we sure can't save ourselves, can we? Everything we do is sin. Everything we do requires some, that somebody save us from what we do. Can you save yourself? If your answer to that question is no, tell you what to do. Go to Christ for salvation. The very reason Christ came to this earth as a man, the reason he took on him flesh is to come to this earth and save sinners of whom I am chief. That's why he came. He came to save. He came to save sinners. Now, are you a sinner? Go to Christ for salvation. It's the very reason that he came. Now, don't ever forget this. Just like life is not a thing, it's not some magical being. Life is a person. Salvation is a person, or is a person too. Salvation is not a legal state of being. Like you're legally charged with sin or you're legally charged, you know, with righteousness makes sound like you don't have anything to do with either one of them. 
Salvation is not a legal state of being. Salvation is a person. It's a person. It's knowing a person. It's loving a person. It's having union and a relationship with a person. It's all in a person. Why do you reckon Simeon held an eight-day-old baby in his arms and said, mine eyes have seen thy salvation? He saw him. Salvation's in a person. The Lord Jesus Christ is salvation. Now, if you need salvation, go to him. It's all in him. And again, I tell you, he won't cast you out. Now, I'm not saying, you understand, I'm not saying that us coming and asking obligates God to save us. What I'm saying is, if we come to God and beg him for mercy, he won't cast us out. Let me read you a few verses. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Now the Savior left no doubt there. If you look to him, you will be saved. You will be. He won't cast you out. John 10, verse 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. If you come to Christ, you shall be saved. Acts 2, verse 21. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No doubt about it, is there? Now, I don't think I need to say this to anybody here, but just, you know, this bears this, this, declaim, this disclaimer. It doesn't mean everybody says the name of Jesus. Everybody says the name Christ everybody is, uh, is saved. It's the Lord of this book. If you call on the Lord of this book, the Christ, not the one of our imagination, but of this book, he said, you shall be saved. That seems like a pretty good reason to me for a sinner to go to Christ. Because he said, if you come, I'll give you salvation. All right, number three. Our sin has separated us from our God. That's more troubling than we tend to think about on a day-to-day basis. Our sin has separated us from God. If you want acceptance with the Father, if you want to come back into the Father's presence accepted, I'll tell you what to do. Go to Christ. See, we were separated from God in Adam. When Adam was thrust out of the garden, he was thrust out from the presence of God, we thrust out of fellowship with God, so were we. So were we. Now we're also separated from God because of our own sin. Now, when I say our own sin, Adam's sin is our sin. It's not like, well, we're charged with Adam's sin even though we didn't do it. No, we were in Adam. He was our representative. His sin is our sin. But since we, we've come on the scene, we've committed plenty of sin on our own, haven't we? Plenty of sin. God said in Isaiah 59 verse 2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now our sin has separated us from God. And we can't do anything to cross that great divide. We can't do anything to come back into God's presence except it. If we come into the presence of God as we are, we'll be struck down. Does that trouble you? Do you want acceptance with the Father? Do you not want to be thrust out of His presence? Then I'll tell you what to do. Go to Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 6. 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in Christ. The father is pleased with his son and he always accepts his son and he always accepts sinners who are in his son. Always. Not for our sakes, because who Christ is. Then if you would be accepted of the father, come in the beloved. Come to Christ and you'll be accepted. Just like being separated from God doesn't bother us near as much as it should on a day-to-day basis. Having some sense that we're accepted in the presence of the Father. We come before Him in prayer. That one day we'll be accepted in His presence, awake in His likeness. That doesn't thrill our souls. And calm our troubled hearts near as much as it should accepted in the beloved. All right, number four. Our sin has offended the holy God. Now that's troubling. If if I would offend one of you, that, that would that would bother me so much I just could hardly rest until we set things right between us that I've offended one of you. What is it to offend God? <laughs> well, we, we ought not be able to rest until we get this matter settled. I've offended God by my sin. What should I do? Tell you what to do. Go to Christ for forgiveness. You know, our sin is a whole lot more than just breaking the rules. Our sin has offended the lawgiver. Our sin has offended the creator, the one who's created us, who's given us life and breath and done. He's been nothing but good to us. There's not a person here can say God's been anything but good to me. He sure gave me a whole lot more than I deserve. We've sinned against him. Now we need God to forgive our sins. We need to be forgiven. Well, here's a question. Will he? If I would offend one of you, I'd come and apologize to you. Say, could you forgive me? Would, will you forgive me? Well, here's a question. Will God forgive me? Huh? Really? You want to find out? Go to Christ. Go to Christ. There is forgiveness with him. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. There's forgiveness of sin through the blood of Christ's sacrifice. Here's the reason God forgives the sin of his people. Their sin has been punished. Punished fully in Christ our substitute. The blood of Christ paid for the sin that made God angry. You know why the debt's forgiven? Because it's paid. It's not written off to to bad debt. It's paid. God forgives the sin of his people because his own son died to satisfy God's justice against that sin. Now, if that's not amazing grace, I don't know what is. I've never heard of amazing grace. If Christ dying in the place of his people, so if their sin is forgiven in justice, if that's not amazing grace, I've never heard it. Now again, I tell you, come to Christ. Come to Christ for forgiveness. 
You know what he said? I will forgive. Now that's what he said. And if there's any doubt that he meant it, I'm going to give you this scripture. In the midst of the most horrible suffering that's ever taken place on the face of this planet, suffering of body and soul, of God in human flesh, you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. That sure sounds like a Savior willing to forgive, doesn't it? Sounds like a Savior able to forgive. That's just the fella. I want to beg for forgiveness in you. He's just the one. All right, fifthly. Now you and I are unrighteous. And we need to be made righteous. If we're not righteous, we can never come into God's presence. We can't make ourselves righteous. What are we to do? Go to Christ. Now the way a person is made righteous is by obeying God's law. Obeying it perfectly. We, you and I, are unrighteous. We've already established this. We're sinners. We're constantly breaking God's law. So we're unrighteous because everything we do is sin. Now if we're not righteous, we'll be damned. We're in a fix, aren't we? If we're going to be made righteous, somebody else is going to have to do it for us. Because we can't do it for ourselves. We need somebody to make us righteous, don't we? Well, I'll tell you what to do. Go to Christ. He is the righteousness of his people. His very name is Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord, our righteousness. And the amazing thing is how the Lord, our righteousness, how the Holy One of Israel made his people righteous. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did no sin, knew no sin, wasn't even acquainted with any sin, was made sin for his people. He took their sin away from them and he made it his. He became guilty of it. And he traded them, if that wasn't enough, he traded them his perfect obedience so that they would be righteous. And he took that sin into his own body on the tree and he was sacrificed. He suffered and died to put it away. He was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now if you would be made righteous, go to Christ. Go to Christ. It's all in him. Now if he went through all that suffering of the cross, he went through being separated from his father because of the sin of his people. He made his soul an offering for sin. If he went through all of that to make his people righteous, do you think he'll withhold it from you? No. He'll give it to you freely. Righteousness is in Christ. Go to him. Six, we have a problem of the filthiness of our sin. Our souls are defiled by sin. We're defiled through and through. Now we can't cleanse ourselves. So what are we to do? Well, I'll tell you, go to Christ. Go to Christ for cleansing. Now again, I say this. Our, our sin is not just breaking the rules. 
Sin is a disease. You know, the, the, the reason that, that leprosy is given to us as a picture, a type of sin in Scripture, is because sin is a disease. It's a disease that kills 100% of those that commit sin. 100%. It's 100% fatal. Sin is a disease that has defiled our souls. But the only people that God will accept his, into His presence are people who are holy. White and clean. But we're black and defiled with sin. God cannot, he will not, and he cannot accept us as we are. Now what do we do? Huh? Go to Christ. Cleansing from our sin is found in him. First John 1 verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Christ pays for sin. It atones for sin. It covers sin. And it cleanses it away. Cleanses it from our souls so that our souls are white and clean. And he cleanses us from all sin. It's not some sin. It's not, you know, some some problem sin. It's all sin. All sin. I can't think of a better reason for a defiled, filthy sinner to come to Christ than this. His blood cleanses from all sin. If you would be cleansed from your sin, go to Christ. And then here's the last thing. By our sin, we've declared war on God. We're in a war we cannot win. We need peace. Go to Christ for peace. You know, it's a, if you've ever played sports, it's a bad feeling to be in a game when you can't win. I mean, you just look up at the scoreboard. I mean, there's no coming back from this. There's just, I mean, you can't win. I mean, that's a bad feeling, you know. Is uh, Maybe I'm too competitive. Maybe that's not that bad a feeling for you. But I mean, it's a bad feeling for me. I hate it. That's just a game. How much worse a war? I mean, a war that really matters now. A war. You and I have declared war on God. We've started a war we can't win. And the consequences are serious. It's eternal damnation because we have so foolishly picked a fight with God. Now we better sue for peace before it's too late, don't you reckon? Would you sue God for peace? Would you beg Him for peace? Let me tell you where it's found. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. You come to Christ. You know what you're going to find? God's terms of peace are sweet. They're easy. The Lord Jesus Christ has already made peace by the blood of his cross. The blood of Christ took away the sin that made God angry. So God's at peace. There's no reason for him to be angry. There's no reason for him to go to war with his people. The blood of Christ has taken away their their sin. Now you come to God begging for peace. Beg for peace for Christ's sake. Beg God for peace because of the blood of Christ. And that same blood that makes the Father not angry, makes the Father be at peace, when that same blood of Christ is applied to your heart, you'll have peace. 
That blood gives you a new nature. A nature that loves God. A nature that gladly submits to God. That gladly submits to His righteousness. Of course I'm going to submit to His righteousness and not try to have one of my own. I want Him to be my righteousness. That new nature will be at peace with God. If you would have peace, go to Christ. Go to Christ. I could go on and on and on and on. Just different examples of this, but but you get the idea here, don't you? Whatever fix you find yourself in, go to Christ. We need to know the Father, don't we? We don't know the Father. Salvation is knowing the Father. You want to know the Father? Go to Christ. He's the one that reveals the Father. We're in darkness and we need light. I can't see. I, I, I can't. I can't see the gospel. I can't see Christ. I can't see the joy of this. I can't see the peace of this. I can't even see my own sinfulness. I'm in darkness and I need light. Go to Christ. He's the light of the world. By nature, all we believe is a lie. I mean, you can't, you can't make somebody believe the truth. You can't make somebody believe the gospel. But I mean, you make up some most outlandish thing that you can think of with some outlandish idol that you've made up and people will just fall for it hook, line, and sinker in a, in a breath. I don't want to believe a lie. I don't want to go into eternity believing a lie. Well, I'll tell you what to do. Go to Christ. He is the truth of God. He is salvation in truth and mercy. You can only find that in Christ. Trying to earn our own righteousness by keeping the law. That would just plumb wear you out. My dear friend Jim Meadows, after working all day, finally say, I'm give out. I'm give out. Well, that's how I feel about this world. That's how I feel about man's religion. That's how I feel about trying to put up some fake religious front. That's how I feel about trying to to earn my own righteousness and do something that makes me feel like God would be happy with me now because of what I've done. I tell you what, I'm give out. I'm give out. Tell you what to do. Are you give out? Go to Christ and cast yourself on Him. He said, if you're weary, come. Come to me and I'll give you rest. That's what He said. Reckon he'll do it? I think he will since he said it. Alright, now look with me, Isaiah 55. This, here's where I want to close tonight. Isaiah 55. In case you're wondering, I'm talking to you tonight. To every one of you. Telling you, come to Christ. Here's why I tell you that, because that's what the Word of God says. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho! Now listen up. Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now wherefore, why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in flat in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. 
and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Now I spent this whole message telling you come to Christ. Here's what God says. He says the same thing. He says, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Come to me. Come buy everything you need without money and without price. Now how can I come buy something if I don't have any money? You come by trusting Christ. You come to Christ trusting that he is everything that the Father requires of you and he'll give it to you freely. Now that's a blessed commandment from the Father. This is a blessed privilege that God's preachers have. To hear on a Wednesday night but I'm right here with I know every every last one of you to tell those I love so much have one more opportunity to tell you go to Christ and what he says do that's a blessing all right let's bow together our father how we thank you for your word how we thank you that you have given us such a clear declaration of the gospel. It's so simple. Go to Christ. Look to Christ. You made it so simple. Everything we need is all in one person. It's all in Christ. Now Father I beg of you that you would. Give each one of us here tonight. A heart of faith. That would go to Christ. That would go to him. Father we beg you for mercy. We beg you for salvation. We beg you for life. We we beg you to accept us and see us only in your Son. Father, enable us to come to Christ and find just as he said that he's everything we need. Father, it's in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is for our good, but Father, for the glory of Christ, we ask you to be merciful to us. Bless your word, Father, as it's been preached. In Christ's name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.